I hesitate to say you're going to be blessed today because some of what's being talked about today is, is tragic. And, um, but the blessing comes from knowing that the Lord is working in and through all things, even tragedies. And there's much happening around the world. Um, and our speaker today, Edward Amaya, he actually works with uh, Far Reaching Ministries um, as the director of what's called Ghost Operations. Okay. Um, that sounds as a spy movie as you think it is. He's in charge of the ministries there that, that work in uh, closed countries, uh, the, the types of work in countries where we can't tell you what's going on. That's, that's what he's in charge of with far-reaching ministries. But his heart and soul in all of that is to bring the authentic love of Jesus Christ to people who are being torn apart by war, torn apart by genocide, poverty, human suffering, um, all of that. He's just, he's driven. And, and, and really, I, I met Edward 12 years ago in the Sudan when he was just getting started with Far Reaching Ministries. And uh, we haven't connected enough over the years, but uh, he is a man with a heart to see people know Jesus Christ, especially to know the hope that is found in him, despite the circumstances going on around them. And his desire is to really see the body of Christ reawaken reawaken or continue to awaken to the opportunities that are around us every single day to bring the love of Jesus to those, especially those that are suffering in an increasingly chaotic world. And so if you will all please help me welcome up Edward Amaya. You know, today is a uh, pretty somber day as I'm standing before you. Um, but what the Lord has taught me, because it's, it's easy to get caught up in heaviness, and Christian, we, Christians, those of you who confess to know Jesus this morning, there should be a heaviness on our life about some things. But what the Lord also promised us in those fires, there's going to be great, great opportunity. And even when I'm in war zones and I'm in dangerous situations, the Lord has really shown me that he even brings heaven for us. There's those beautiful sunrises and sunsets, or you get to meet this brand new baby that was born in the most difficult situation, and it's just that innocence. And I want to encourage you with a lot of the suffering, a lot of things that I'm talking about, as Christians, we have the greatest reason, one, to mourn and hurt so much that it gets us out of our seats and drives us to the world, but also to know that honestly, if we will just believe in what we have been taught by Pastor Nathan for all these years, is that we've won already. We just have work to do. Uh, Nathan got to introduce me, and that really helps this morning because I'm on a time crunch and even if I weren't on a time crunch, there is so much going on in this world today that I could literally take hours just talking about the 36 countries in which we deal with. We did start out in South Sudan. Pastor Nathan got to tell you that. And the time in which we've served there, there's been over two and a half million people killed. And this isn't just military against military. The vast majority of the people in South Sudan that were killed were people like us, just people from the village. Different villages than ours because they're just mud huts and grass roofs called tukuls, but they would come into a village and just raise it. It was for one goal is to, to force everybody within South Sudan to actually convert to Christianity. It was an incredibly evil time, and in fact, it's still very difficult. What makes us unique is because God did raise us up to go into a foreign country. We never anticipated this. That is the hope for everybody. You have no idea what God can do with your life if you would just apply and be faithful with the things that are in front of you today, the things that you know that you know that you know. And that is the secret if I can say that, if that's the right word, that's probably a bad word, but I think you'll understand my heart. That is the secret to see God do more in your life, and that is to learn, no matter if you're 15 or you're 85, is that if you will start to be faithful with what God has put in front of you, and that may be just a loaf of bread, 
It may be a lot more, but when you're faithful, when God sees that faithfulness in small things, he can entrust you to more. A lot of times, and I was there for years, Christianity was nice, but it was a little bit boring. I would come to church. I was involved in a dynamic church down in San Diego. I was in and out of ministry in different places, but it wasn't the same. It was like, oh, I love to be at church, and it felt so great. I could raise my hands, and then when I'd go back in the world, although I knew scripture and I spent hours in the word each day, there was this lackluster in my life. And then the Lord reminded me is that it's not about my feelings, but it is about getting in the battle. And when you get in the battle and you endure through that battle and, you, and it doesn't feel like it's working and nobody's paying attention and you want to give up, but you endure through that, that's when the fruit comes. God has given us signs everywhere in this world to tell us how the kingdom of heaven works. We, we talk about it in scripture about farming. Body of Christ, it is absolutely true. What I've realized in my life, and I've reflected in the mirror very deeply about this, is that I understand that salvation for me is a free gift. And if you knew my testimony, and most of you probably won't have a chance to do it, you would realize that I'm standing up here today not because of some superpower I have, but it is completely the grace of God. In fact, if five minutes of my life, even as a Christian, if somebody were secretly recording some of the stupid things that I've done over the last 30 years, and they played it on a video this morning, I probably wouldn't be able to show my face. It has never been about us. It is the grace, grace and mercy of a loving God that continues to pursue us, even though we are weak and fable, feeble, and some of us uh, have a knack for stumbling. God still does, God still does the mighty. And when I can experience that kind of love from God, that kind of just amazing kindness, I'm also reminded to look at Scripture to understand Him more. I don't want to be a, a knower of the Word. I am well taught. I have been around Calvary Chapel since 1985. I have gone through the Word myself a hundred times maybe, even more, maybe. I don't know. I don't even count anymore. And I've gone through the Word of God with Chuck Smith and Joe Foch and Mike McIntosh. I mean, I've gone through the Word of God. I know the Word of God. I've, I've been in the Greek. I've been in the Hebrew. But yet in my own life, in a lot of situations, it was really easy to, with conviction, preach to people about needing to know Jesus and turning away. But I was feeble in my own life, and I was, I was honestly miserable. And what the Lord showed me is knowing the Word of God doesn't do anything until you could experience it. In fact, I'm going to warn any of you who want to go on this knowledge center approach to Scripture, and I think it's wise. We have to know Scripture. We have to know how to use our sword. But if you think that just doing that is going to bring some radical transformation in your life, knowing the Word of God, it does. But where real radical transformation comes is when you actually throw yourself into the fire. When the Lord opens up the door, you go into the fire, and then you have to experience trust when it makes no sense. Or love, when you know that that person that you're talking to is a ruthless killer, but God could take a Paul and turn him around. And I just want to encourage you, body of Christ, the thing that the Lord has told me over the last 10 years that has just driven into me and it wakes me up in the morning is that I need to be a doer of the things that I know lest I deceive myself. And I have the capacity, just like every other person that has ever breathed on this earth, to walk around in incredibly deep self-deception. That's not my message today. I just want to remind us we are to be doers. When Nathan is faithful, and I'm going to tell a little secret. He knows I, I've said this. He's actually one of the most popular pastors that ever went to South Sudan for a different reason than you think. Because he came, when I got to meet him, he was so prepared, all pastors prepare, he was so prepared that it was literally like a seminary class for these guys that went out in the front line. And Nathan doesn't realize some of the guys that he taught 
probably about 20 of the guys from the class in which Nathan and I were together teaching that time, about 20 of those guys have already died in the service of the Lord and gone into heaven. And they have Nathan's fingerprint on them. When he came and brought that word, it was an amazing experience. Wes even took notice. And Wes, our, our founder, is just amazed. Wes knows your pastor out of thousands of pastors all over the, the globe. He knows your pastor by name. In fact, asked me to call him personally on, on a particular situation. That's the man you guys have. That's my brother. But because I got to spend time with Nathan, I know you're well-trained, and I thank God for that. You are blessed, and I want to encourage all of us to remind us, especially when I get into the meat of my message, to whom much is given, much really is required. In addition to South Sudan, I'm going to get into some pretty crazy stuff, but I want to finish one little thing on, on uh, what happened in Sudan over the last six years. We, because we are in a war zone, we have raised up and trained over 550 chaplains that are embedded in frontline combat units this morning. They have led probably 100,000 Muslims to the Lord and probably hundreds of thousands of, of people all over South Sudan to the Lord. These are my brothers. These are my friends. These are, these are guys I love. These are guys that I have hung out with. I mean, we've laughed together. We've cried together. We've celebrated the, the birth of that country together. But I, we have had, which makes us a little unique, we've had 72 of our team members die in the service of the Lord. And, and it takes a toll on you. It really does. It, these are my brothers. These are my friends. These are guys that I know. These are like hanging out with Nathan. That's the kind of intimate relationship, or at least that kind of love. The first 15 years of ministry in just South Sudan, we had 16 team members killed. And I don't think we were ready for that. But the Lord in his graciousness needed to build us up too, because what would come again over the last six years was something that we never anticipated, and that is that we've actually had 56 of our team members just in South Sudan alone killed in the, in the last six years, and it's incredibly, incredibly challenging us. It weighs on us. When you're in a war zone, even when you get to do what we do, death takes a toll on you, and so when you, if the Holy Spirit ever prompts you, please be praying for our team because we do need the prayers of the saints. We are not super saints. We are men, just like the rest of the men in this room. But we said yes to a door that the Lord opened up for us. Being in 36 countries, nine of the 10 most dangerous countries, and this continues to expand, I have a little different, unique perspective on the world. Over here, it does look like the world's coming to an end. It's pretty crazy. But because I'm in so many nations all the time, I can tell you this, I have never seen the world closer to a complete destructive mode. It has never been darker. It has never been just at any moment something can happen. I have never felt like even what's going on with Russia and Ukraine that we were ever any closer than we are today, even of somebody in their anger pushing a button and hitting a nuclear bomb. It's a very serious time. But what I want to encourage you as Christians, that is not for us to retreat. That's what the world does when you don't know what to do. If we have the spirit of the living king as ambassadors of heaven, not just Americans, and I'm thankful to be an American, but I remember my place. I am an American. That's where God set me. But my brothers in Russia and Ukraine right now in South Sudan, God set them there. But what, what is a little bit different is we are children of a higher kingdom. I'm not an ambassador from the United States to South Sudan or to Russia or to any of those other places that I've been able to go. I am an ambassador of the living king. I have an incredibly important job. I am the light and the salt 
in the greatest darkness. And when the world gets darker, body of Christ, this is not our time to be angry and, and to retreat and, and raise our fist at who's in the White House. That is not our job. Scripture tells us that God raises up our leaders for certain things. And we have one responsibility. Politics matter. I am going to vote. I am going to be involved. I am going to speak truth because truth, speaking truth is love. But I am also remembering who I belong to. And when I'm in any country, whether I was born in Russia or born here, whoever is in that White House, it's my job to pray for them because should the Lord turn that man around, then what he can do to influence the world is great. That is my job. I've got to look at the bigger picture. And that's what I wrestle with, even in the midst of running into places where most people are running from. Being the director of ghost operations, I spend a lot of time um, dealing with really tough things. I, I have learned to only sleep on a couple hours a night. Well, I don't know if I've learned to, but I have to. So if I fall off the stage, that's just normal for how tired I am a lot of times. Uh, in the work we were doing a few years ago, you probably remembered, it's still going on, but it doesn't make the news because it's one tragedy after tra another tragedy. Then I think we went through this really weird thing the last two years, in case you guys missed that. It's been a little bit, uh, it's been a little bit upside down as a world. But this little country called Syria is still on fire. In fact, if you remember about Syria, Syria is almost completely destroyed, if you've seen any of the documentaries on the white hats or anything like that. Well, we were involved in Syria underground because you can't have a church in Syria because if you're a Christian, you will be killed. It's a minority population and a forbidden religion there. But we had 12 underground pastors and their families working there for many years. When Syria exploded, they got together, and it made sense because I'm having the same conversations in other countries that are exploding right now, but they got together and said, listen, if we need to flee so we can come back another day, that is okay. But before we do it, my, my brother Danny, who is the leader over all these men, he, he's the one that actually initiated this because of his passion for Christ. He said, but we need to first fast and pray lest we end up walking outside of God's will. Let's take a week, bombs going off everywhere, let's take a week and fast and pray and get back together, 12 people. A week later, after fasting and praying, they got together, but guess what? The group had grown to 25. Other pastors that had heard about what they were doing, and they all raised their hand and said, we will stay. And today, we have a lot of people in Syria, even though it is a complete tragedy because brothers and sisters have stayed to do the work. I want to tell you one quick story, although I know I have to be really careful with my time. This is the beautiful story about what's going on in, in Syria. We're sending in food parcels because they don't have what we have in America. There is no safety net. The government is the one that is actually going after the people, and the people are going after each other and going after the government. Well, we have Christians all over, so we have to send in food and medical supplies, and we can't do it normal ways. I mean, it's a whole system on how we do it. But one of the men that had a food parcel, not a lot of food, a food parcel, he realized that it is his opportunity to reach out in love to his enemies. And he actually took his fruit parcel and he went to one of the local imams, one of the most powerful local imams, whose house had also been hit by uh, munitions. And so it was partly destroyed, but they were still living in it. And to, to, to make the story really kind of beautiful, I'm kind of shortening it up for time reasons, is that he ended up meeting the imam and he gave him a food parcel. And the imam knows what's going on around. He's like, brother, why would you be giving this to me? And he said, this is a gift from Jesus. In this man's suffering, this is a gift from Jesus. And the man said, Jesus, the great prophet? He said, yes. He goes, brother, come in, let's talk. He gave his heart to Jesus, and, all, and a couple years later, he has so committed himself to Scripture that he is now leading an underground seminary in Syria. That body of Christ, that is how we change the world. 
I have enemies, and, and truth speaks truth. If I have an enemy against the cross or an enemy against mankind, it is truthful to say you're an enemy against mankind. The way that you treat men is not something that we, that we as a society can put up with, right? It's okay to speak truth, but the difference is that I am praying for opportunities to be able to love on my enemy, even if that requires that they have to go to prison and in even some countries, because of their atrocities, actually be executed. I want everybody to know Jesus because somebody at 19 years old, Ray Bentley, who just went to be with the Lord, got a hold of a little punk like me who was lost and confused and broken and misguided, and he introduced me to Jesus. And all these years later, this lost, broken boy is standing before you, a man that God is sending all over the world to, to be a voice for the kingdom of heaven. That's what God can do with your life. So much going on in the news in Burma, which most of you know it's been renamed as in Myanmar. Um, they're killing entire villages of Christians. I have pictures on my phone. I was going to show some, but I decided not to. Uh, this is really, really, really a tough situation. I carry on my phone a picture of one of the villages that our team went into where the enemy came in and killed everybody. And the only two people that somehow got missed was a brother and sister, one-year-old and two-year-old. It is the most precious little kids and yet the little girl, when, when our team walked in, they didn't know if we were the monster again. And she grabs on her little brother and starts to cower. And he's holding her as a two-year-old or leaning over or trying to protect her. That's my job. And men, that's your job. We are the body of Christ. And my life doesn't matter because I know where my eternity is. I don't want to die. I'm not a fool. I'm not trying to rush out in the middle of the freeway and put a blindfold on and say, God, I trust you. That's foolishness. But when people are suffering and I have skills and open opportunities, my life is not my own. It belongs to Christ. My eternity, my fruit, everything I have is a gift from the living God. And, and why my, my faith is so dynamic is because somehow when I said, Father, if it's all yours and you take it, he's able to work with it because I'm not trying to hold on to it so tightly that I kill it. It's a very tough situation. Again, I have a lot of bad the terrible pictures, but please be praying for that country. I don't even have time to get into that, and I could spend probably two hours just on that. While that was all going on, we got calls from Latin America because uh, the cartel, you know, obviously a lot of bad things going on there. But one thing that caused us to have to jump into action, and I can't tell you what country this is, uh, the cartel were taking children, and we know about human trafficking, sexual trafficking, we know about all that stuff, but it goes beyond that. The cartel are looking for other ways to make money, and they will buy a child off a poor, desperate, and you have no idea what you'll go through when you are poor and desperate. I am not excusing this, but sometimes parents out of, out of desperation will sell their children to the cartel for $250, because that might bring food into their family for the next three or four months. And what we got a call on, we knew all that was happening. We've been involved in human trafficking. But the area that said, no, we're not, we are not allowing this to happen is when we found out about little kids that are actually being taken and their organs are being harvested. Now, I, usually that is for rich people who are on some list somewhere, but they don't want to wait. And so they don't, they don't look, but they'll go, hey, I'll pay to get an organ. But this is actually worse. Depravity of man has seen no heights. What they are doing now, one day we'll look back and say, man, that was like romper room. 
One of my team members uh, a little while ago was called in by the police to a room. They put gloves on him. He's very engaged in this area in, in Latin America. Took him into a room and the, the man made him touch these three little bodies laying on a thing. This is going to be tough. I'm not going to get into too many details, but they were three three-year-old children and they had taken their organs. They were still warm. They just got out. And what they do is they take those organs and they sell them to very wealthy people who have superstitions that believe that if I eat the organ of a child, it will extend my life. This is what we're dealing with. This is what leaves me up at night because I can't let that happen. No way. I can't just sit at the TV and be angry at the world and put down everybody. I've got to get in the battle because when I'm in the battle, God has given me then the opportunity to just speak and say, I've seen this. I have touched this. And this has to stop. It's not okay. And I just want to encourage you. You're not going to probably ever have to go to Syria or anything like that. But there's a lot of pain in this neighborhood. There's a lot of pain in your families. There's a lot of pain in this church. And when we rise up past our own problems and our own wants and our own list, God gives me the desires of my heart. I don't go without anything. But when we pursue God and love other people, you would be surprised how much work is actually available for you in this community if you can just get past the fact that it might not be an easy thing and it might take longer than two hours. I'm not insulting it. There's a beautiful thing about getting involved in some type of outreach. This is not browbeating, I promise. But there's nothing wrong with being involved in a couple-hour outreach. I've taught Sunday school and Bible studies. They are important but sometimes there's so much suffering out there that you have to walk with somebody maybe for six months, a year, sometimes even 10 years. And that's what God is calling us to do is to walk in love with somebody that maybe doesn't even deserve it. Latin America, very tough. I'm gonna get into Afghanistan a little bit later. Um, and you guys maybe have seen on the news, but Eastern Europe is on fire right now. And we have, we have a bunch of team members in both those countries. And the hardest thing is those are your brothers and sisters. I've been, I, I've been with people from both countries. They love you. These are Calvary chapels and they're being torn apart right now. But in, uh, Af I, I can tell you in Eastern Europe, it is a worst case scenario. Your pastor is gonna be with us next week and we'll give an update and then he'll bring some type of update for you. But I do wanna spend a few minutes with Afghanistan. Before I do that, I wanna get into scripture. I wanna look at everything I'm about to talk about in why I am so driven to glorify Christ Jesus in the most toughest places on this planet. If you'll turn with me or even just listen this morning to Luke chapter 19, I would appreciate that. Doesn't matter the translation, you'll understand that soon. But Luke chapter 19, we're going to read from verses 11 through 27. And while you're turning there, I want to give you a little backdrop. This is a really important part of Scripture to me, probably because of what I do, but also because I realize that as I'm 50, almost 57, pretty, pretty soon here, I realize that life has gone by really quickly, and I know I'll get a lot of amens. My daughter just turned 34 years old, and it feels like it was like maybe five, maybe six, seven years ago when, I, when she was born, I used to sit on the couch and put my legs up on the coffee table, and she'd lay there, and, and with these big eyes as a 20-year-old man, I was just like, Father, teach me how to do this. I don't know how to do this, and today she's made me a grandfather. So I realize that that is how fast whatever season I am given is going to go by. And I respect that this is Jesus on his way to his own death. He knows he is set on Jerusalem and he says something to the very disciples that are the ones that are going to be betraying him. The very disciples. He says something so incredible. I don't think I would have clarity of mind if I knew I was going to some type of persecution and death. But that's the Savior in which we serve, even in his flesh. He was able to keep a kingdom perspective. Nothing made him flinch. I will make you flinch. 
I will let you down. And I know none of you will ever believe this, but at some point, accidentally, Nathan can let you down. But there is one person that I know that will never let me down, and he never panics in my situation, and that is Jesus. Let's read what he said. Verse 11, And as they heard these things, the disciples... He proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. 10 servants, he gave them about a pound of silver. That's roughly, there's other interpretations, but most of us lean towards that was at least a pound of silver. And he said to them, listen to this body of Christ, Engage in business. Most of your translations, if you're Calvary, probably say, Occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what had been gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, listen, body of Christ, well done, good servant, because cause and effect. I was talking about salvation. And then I was talking about it's my responsibility to engage and do work. Body of Christ, I think one of the things that we do miss, and I know that Nathan teaches a full scripture, and this isn't about earning God's favor. When I have received the fullness of Christ, and that has really transformed my life, my natural response is to say, Father, put me in the game. Whatever you have entrusted me, if it's only a fish and five loaves, or if it's the ability to get on a plane and go anywhere, Father, whatever you entrusted to me, use it. I'm going. I want to do it. And I would pray that we would understand that because the gifts of heaven, hear me on this body of Christ, Salvation is free. When we're in the presence of God, all tears, no more tears, no more sorrows, but the gifts of heaven are the things that we need to understand are the things that are earned because of the condition of our heart. Why am I standing before you today? Is it for fame and notoriety? No, we've had people who want to do movies on us and we don't want it because it's going to take away from us being able to do our work. We, we have people who want to write books on us. Wes says, no way. It's going to take away from us doing our work, and then all of a sudden, people are going to look at us like we're rock stars. We're not. We belong right there. We just happen to come on this side to go over to Sinan and stuff. I, we are no different than anybody else that you will ever meet in the, in the church today, especially in Calvary Chapel. We're no different. We're you. And so we don't want any of that. Oh, I love this. He ordered those servants, oh, sorry, let me go back up here. Occupy, um, he ordered those servants to he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained in doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servants, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. What a Bible study. A pound of silver, you were faithful with little, and now I'm going to give you over governments and authority and military, everything over cities. Just God will teach you to do greater things through obedience with small things first. And the second came to him saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man, taking you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. Verse 22, and he said to him, I will condemn you 
with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? Why didn't you just do something practical? If you didn't know, if you were afraid, if you were fearful, why didn't you find somebody that you could trust and say, hey, invest this for the king? Why then did you not put the money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minus. Give it to the one who's been faithful. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minus. I tell you that to everyone who has, everyone who has been faithful, more will be given. But to the one who has not, unfaithfulness, even what he has will be taken away. So what I, what I read in this one and why it drives me, and it's just something that I, it's a life verse chapter. It just moves me. Because I'm realizing again that Jesus on his way to his own death could have said a billion things. And he really focused on this. And I'm reminded again, back to that age thing. Obviously, I'm having some mid-age crisis here because I keep going back to my age. But I'm, I'm, I'm very aware that my 56 years, and, and I work out hard. I, I'm not here for that. You're going to hear why I'm telling you this. I eat healthy. I, I monitor my blood. I have to because of stress and everything I'm doing. I'm constantly under stress. I've got to watch my appetite. I've got to do those things. It's easy for me to go, okay, I don't got time. Let me just grab McDonald's every day. I will take myself out of ministry. And so I am incredibly disciplined because of what I have to do. But I do know that at some point, I don't care what I do to, to, to keep lifting weights and eat healthy and do all those things. At some point, if the Lord should tarry, I can't keep doing this. Because even if he gives me 100 years, what I am aware of is that 100 years right here, that 100 years in comparison to eternity, in fact, it's so small, I can't even, that's all I have. And how I live my life or I don't live my life somehow is going to impact and affect eternity. And I can go all the way around the world and keep going because there is no end. And body of Christ, that's all I get. And some people don't even get that. Some people only get 20 years and 50 years and 10 years and 60 years, whatever that is. Body of Christ, let me encourage you. This is your life too. And how you live it, it matters. It matters to God. It matters to this community, this community in which you are because for God so loved the world that he gave his son. He gave his son for Sudan. He gave his son for Afghanistan. He gave his son for everywhere. And he gave his son for this community because he cares about the people in this community, the very ones that hate you and don't want anything to do with you and are grumpy and mean and cantankerous. And when you turn on your blinker, they run you off the road. Those very people right here, Jesus loves so much that he sent you here. And he sent your brothers and sisters to Australia and to camp. We are all over the world, not just to be there, but to be the light and the salt. Your life, I promise you, it matters to Jesus. And body of Christ, Nathan can fix this next week. I think he understands my heart. What I want to do is I want to stand in the congregation and cry out, remember we're going to stand before that great I am one day and our lives are going to be completely unfolded before him. This is not a fairy tale. Don't treat it like that. This is a living God who reached out through all of eternity and said, Edward, this church, you individually, I'm calling you my child. I'm giving you things to do to glorify my name because Jesus said, and greater things than these shall you do. I'm not even going to talk about turning water to wine. I'm not talking about his ability to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm a coward to go there because it's so controversial. But the one area that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know represents Jesus is love. 
For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. For Jesus so loved his Father and loved you that he sacrificed himself. And then the Bible tells us that the very first fruit of the Holy Spirit, proof that the Holy Spirit is not just in me, but has, has reign over me, is love. For the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then God did not leave us hanging there. He gave us, and love is patient and kind. Let's just go to patient. This is what I learned. I could, I could repeat all that. Yeah, I knew all that. But then one day the Lord, this is a really funny story because, you know, hey, that's what the Lord has to do. I was cleaning up dog stuff in the backyard on a rainy day, and I was not happy about it because I couldn't use a shovel. I had to go get those little bag things. Whoever invented that? I don't get that. It's like, ooh. So anyways, I had to pick it up, and I was really unhappy because it was smushy. It was gross. And I remember I was frustrated. And the father said, and love is patient. Love is patient. There is a thousand things in my life that can set me off. And if I can let the Holy Spirit or if I can allow the Holy Spirit to pour out of me, I could spend the rest of my life with love is patient. But love is the first commandment. And I want to encourage you that when you were his enemy, when I was his enemy, God reached out through all eternity and he died for you. It is his kindness, it is goodness, and I'm going to throw it in there. It's a little liberal, and if, if Pastor Nathan's not in agreement, I want him to stand up, but it's also love. It's his love that has caused me to want to go into all the world to bring that same love because I haven't experienced too much love from humans, not the kind of love that I've gotten from the Father. In fact, you humans have made me cry a lot. You have caused tears to run down my face and for my heart to be broken. And I'm the same human that have done it to you. I represent a, a male population that has done some, in the church, that has done some pretty bad acting stuff in the church. And some of you ladies can say amen. Again, this isn't browbeating. It is to remind us on how far the body of Christ may have fallen over these last few years because we just got distracted. And I'm good still. Thank you, Lord. Something that the Lord has really been putting on my, my heart, and I want to I wanna kind of bring it back to it, but love has to have a practical meaning to it. It really does. Love has to, I can tell you I love you and then treat you terrible. I can tell you I love you or I can show you I love you. I just believe, body of Christ, it would be a lot better if we went through a season, just a season, maybe the next two years, where we will quit pounding our fist and saying we have all the answers and, and judging everything out there. And I'm going to get in trouble for this, but <clears throat> including these. I'm not here to say these are right. Let's just talk about it. I'm going to get an amen in here, but hold on till I say it. I travel a lot. I'm on out of planes for up to 16 hours. I hate these. I got to get the amen. Come on. Okay. But here's the difference, body of Christ. This is what the Lord impressed on my heart when I'm seeing, I know we're frustrated. I, I know that our freedoms are being pushed against. I get that. That's not okay. We're not used to it. This is a free country. But I would wear this mask every hour of every day if I knew that it would bring people to Jesus. Because my, my goal is not to slam my fist with my freedom. My goal is to represent the king of kings in the darkest times that have ever been on this planet that I know of, at least in my lifetime. And I just want us to remember that. Don't lose your voice because you punch somebody in the nose. I have never won an argument with a baseball bat. I have never won an argument with my wife with a baseball bat. And body of Christ, may we remember that. We are the representation of Jesus who supped with his enemies. 
And then the religious people pointed their fingers and say, you disgusting pig, if you were the son of man, you would know what such man is at. May that never be said about us. And here's my, um, here's my truth, even around Calvary Chapel. We become some grumpy, finger-pointing, forget about the love of Jesus. I'm not saying all of us, but I just want to bring us back to that. I also have political convictions. Probably couldn't change my mind with a gun. But I also will not, I will not draw a line between me and the other party that I can never share Jesus. We've got to watch our words. Because if the other party were attacking your favorite president and attacking your morals and your belief, how does it make you feel? Does it make you want to sit down with them and listen to their worldview? We are representing the only hope for, man, or for mankind, and that is Jesus Christ. We are representing the only hope for mankind, and that is Jesus Christ. I know, it's, I know I'm maybe getting a little too intense here. Maybe it's too much coffee. But this is just on my heart. I, I can't seem to move on from this point is that somehow we slid off. We're, we just slid off a little bit. And I'm just praying that God in his graciousness will remind us how easily we, we chase squirrels. And maybe we can just go back here because this is the other thing I know about God. Even in our mistakes that we've maybe made the last two years, God's not up there with a thumb what, ready to squish you. He's here today to say, hey, remember, uh, I heard Francis Chan say once, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but I remember it was back when we used to use GPS. Remember those little boxes and we thought we were pretty, now we do our phone. But he goes, oh, I love my GPS. Because when I'm going down the road and I take a wrong turn, it doesn't yell and cuss at me. It just says, wrong turn. Take a U-turn at the next, you know, whatever that is. I'm not saying that's how God is, but I want to tell you that your father does love you today. And he understands that we are made up of dust. He understands the condition of us. And that should bring humility to us that a God is not here to bring judgment. One day, body of Christ, for those of you who confess Jesus, understand this, and this is a personal message to you. This isn't to the person sitting next to you. That's their message. But one day, you and you and you and you, you will be judging angels. You will be judging angels. You will stand in the presence of the living God and judge angels. Let me tell you about me. I'm not ready, ready for that today because I, I realize that I'm getting older, that I know very little about anything. When I was 21, I knew everything about everything, and I could tell you all day long about it. And today I realize, man, I don't even think I know anything about marriage, and I know what the Bible says, and I know it works, but I've also made mistakes. I'm not smart enough to judge angels today. I'm sure not enough to, to, to judge the heart of somebody who is acting up irrationally. I don't know the pain in their life. I don't know the mental position of where they are. But what I do know is that I represent the greatest healer of all time. And he can bring soundness to somebody's mind. And he can bring healing to the body. And he can bring healing to marriages. But body of Christ, it has to start right here. We need our marriages healed. I don't care how angry you are. You need your marriage healed. You need your family healed. We need our, we need our country healed. We need our minds healed. And we, some of you need your hearts healed. I know I did. And I had to go through a season because it was making me bitter and I didn't even, wasn't even aware how I was acting towards people because somebody hurt my heart. We need healing to start in the house of the Lord so we can become an effective hospital again where the broken can come in and they can be healed. And then we can send them through physical therapy, what we call discipleship, and then we get to send them back out and they get to create their own hospitals. That's, that is what scripture is. Afghanistan is a worst-case scenario. Please, uh, please be praying for us in this situation. I can't give you any news yet, but I, 
I was hoping to you, you. I was hoping that you guys would be the first church I could give good news to, but it just hasn't happened yet. Um, we dropped into Afghanistan when it all exploded because we had 22 team members there, plus their families. We saw that it was about to go bad because we had people on the ground, but we did not know that Afghanistan would collapse in in 10 days after the Americans had been there for 20 years. But with our team there, the Taliban has been actually taking a notes called a blacklist, and they had a lot of people that were living a little bit more openly about whether they supported America or Christians, whether they were Christians. The Taliban made a list. They had a long game and plan, and we think very short term. And that list, when they took over the country, they started going after those people, including the people on our list. And then our phone started ringing crazy. A lot of other ministries were saying, help us, help us. In the very beginning, when you guys were watching it with the airplanes and stuff, that was, a, that was probably the best time there. I mean, all kinds of big ministries came in with airplanes, and they were getting people on there and getting people out. And unfortunately, you saw people fall from, from some of our military planes. It was a really tough thing. But when the Taliban closed all that down, and what, what we have to understand, the Taliban inherited a bunch of U.S. stuff, like pallets of money, and then they also inherited some of the most advanced weaponry that we had, Blackhawks, missiles. They have the ability to shoot down commercial airliners a couple states away, a couple countries away. This is the most powerful terrorist group that has ever walked this planet today. And they have the ability to shoot things down. And so when all the planes took off, we had to really start working. And, and because of our experience in South Sudan, we met a lot of strong Christians that come from the special forces community, but also from the intel community. Uh, one of our board of, member, board of directors is a former FBI, just retired. Two days was his last day, two days before Afghanistan fell. Uh, he ended up retiring, and, and he's been able to actually be engaged because he couldn't uh, the other way. He would have probably went to, he been, he went to prison for it. Um, but when it fell, we, there's hundreds of Americans still there. Uh, it, it was just a nightmare. Our phones were ringing. It was hard. The pictures that I have from that area, uh, it was just crazy. Hundreds of Americans were, are still there, um, maybe le a little bit less now, but there's still a lot. But they're not just trying to stay. One of the ladies that we're in the process of trying to get out is a Christian from the United States. We didn't know her, but she had 19 orphans because she was taking children from that the Taliban had killed the parents, and so she had 19. And when it was time to leave, she was, she was torn apart. Do I go? If I go, then they belong to the Taliban, and the Taliban will take the boys and let, raise them and turn them into soldiers and take the girls, and you guys know what they'll do with that. And she said she can't do it. And so we, were, we got into touch with her, and we're probably going to be able to get her out uh, pretty soon, Lord willing. A lot of things were happening like that. We had uh, SIVs, which were basically the people that helped America in the last 20 years. The Taliban is trying to hunt them down. They're all on people's lists. We're, we're helping those, but there is one group of people that was on nobody's list. Ready for this? except for God's. And that is the very small minority in Afghanistan of Christians. Every, it's a small minority. Everybody hates them because of who they represent. But they were still there. They were on heaven's list, and so they became on ours. So we're in the process of doing some, some very important underground things, working with people that I never thought I'd have to. I even have to work with mercenaries. I'm working with a mercenary who uh, is actually Muslim by faith, and he is so against what's going on that he, he, he's helping us. It's just crazy what we have to do. So please be praying for that because, I, again, I was hoping to tell you some good news 
news, but it's just a very difficult thing. I can tell you we're on the verge of one of the most amazing miracles that God has ever done uh, in my life. And you guys, when you hear about it, will stand up and clap the, and celebrate the Lord. So please be praying because we've had our hopes dashed. Almost every other organization, especially ministry, has left that area, but we can't because we believe in our heart. There's a time to walk away. There really is. Being foolish is not a good idea. But the Bible tells us that those who endure to the end shall be saved. And what we know about ministry is that you've got to work really, 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 really hard for 20 years to look like an overnight success. It just takes hard work when you want to give up, but you don't. And that's what we're doing with Afghanistan because we learned that with Sudan. So please be praying for that. I have a billion stories that I could tell you. Oh boy, <clears throat> we didn't get into the, to, uh, our vid- uh, video here. I have a million, can I have five extra minutes, Pastor? Would that be okay? If you guys, are you, is it okay, five minutes? Okay, perfect. I won't get into these stories because I want to watch this video, but what we have been able to do is, uh, even the Taliban has been very destructive to Muslims, and we have been able to share our faith with just some of the most heartbreaking stories that you could ever imagine. The stuff that I carry on my phone, I have to lock my phone up pretty tightly. It's just more than most people can handle. I want to watch this video in a moment, if they'll cue this up, because this is going to be Syria. But I want you to hear from your brother who represents probably 700 people that I know because I have 700 people on my team in some of the most dangerous countries. But I would love for you to watch that. But in the, while they're queuing that up, I want to read a verse to you. This is my life verse. This is what wakes me up in the morning. And I believe that the Lord did this because I do want to give up sometimes. I get tired. I'm human. Sometimes I just want to put the blanket over my head and let the world disappear. Sometimes I just want to not open my eyes. But this is what the Lord said to me. And I believe he's saying it to you no matter where you are in life, that if you falter in your time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those. That's an imperative. Rescue those being, laid away, or being led away to death. Hold back, hold back those staggering towards the slaughter. If you say, but we did not know this, does not he who weighs your heart not perceive it? Does not he who guards your life not know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? I am driven to, to stay in the battle even when my knees are shaken or it just feels like I don't want to get out of bed because I have tasted the richness of Christ and it is the only thing that changed my world around and I want everybody in the world to be able to experience that kind of change. Oh, I wish I could tell you all the people that are involved with us, including the first CIA agent's wife who was killed in there. I just wish I could go on, but I'd love for you to watch this video, then I'm going to come up and close, and then Pastor Nathan will come up after that. When the war started, many problems happened and it's so difficult to continue the ministry. And uh, we know some, someday uh, the problems is come inside our homes, not just in our city or in our area. Uh, that time I speak to the leaders and uh, we met together and I said, as in Acts book, the believers when they have the persecuted, most of them they go out of Jerusalem. If you want now to go out of your area or out of Syria to save your families, this is good if God gave you this to do. But uh, we, we must to know maybe one day the problems come 
to our families and to our life. And maybe we will lost our life one day. You know, when I left the room and after time I turned back to see the decision of the leaders, I found 25 people. They stand there and they said, we will not leave, we will continue to serve God here in this area and we will continue the ministry. If we are die, we will go to Jesus. And if we leave here, we will be with Jesus. And you know, but they asked me something to do. They said, if one of our team die, you know we are non-Christian background and no one will take care about our body if we killed or something happened to us. Uh, what we can do if this happened? For that, we buy this land and we built a graveyard. This graveyard for if anyone killed from our team, we can put him there. This is the first building of our ministry. I think it first uh, happened in Raqqa city in Syria. They give the chance for the uh, Christian. They said to him, if you leave your Christianity now, you can be, uh, hold your life, or if not, we will kill you. This, this decision is, you, you know, it's must to, to, to take directly. And most of the uh, Christians said, no, we are ready to die for Jesus. And for that, they, uh, you, you can see many uh, pictures about the Christian, they put them in the cross. And when they put them, many times they put in the area, all the people can see them. To learn the people, if you will be Christian, this is your what will happen to you. Uh, and uh, most of the people, I thank God for these uh, heroes in the faith. They die for Jesus and they put them in the cross. You remember when I told you about the stories about the man who uh, with his son and uh, they bring them and they ask them to leave uh, them faith in Jesus Christ. But the father said no and the son said no. And they asked the father, if you don't uh, come to Islam now, we will, we will kill your son in front of your, your eyes. And after that, they cut the head of the son and they start to play football in his head, front of his father's eyes. This is something incredible. You cannot understand what's happened. But through all this bad news, you can see the hope is growing between this uh, uh, difficult and uh, bad people. You know, so, sometimes many people ask me why, why you continue in the ministry in Syria, especially in this time in the war. The important things for, uh, for our life to be in God willing. This is our call from God to, uh, to do the ministry in Syria. When we are inside the, the God willing, that means we are in the safe place. But if we are go out of God willing and go out of Syria, that means we are in the dangerous place. Maybe I, I can go like to Lebanon, to Jordan, to US, to, to anywhere and continue my life there. But that means I am go out of God willing. That means I am in dangerous. 
the important things in our life, not to be alive, but to be with Jesus willing. But if I am in, inside the dangerous, but in God willing, that means I am in the safe place. This is my belief and I trust in Jesus. He will keep my life and when he wants me to go to him, I am ready to do this. I hadn't seen that video in a couple months, but I can tell you something that it still chokes me up because I know everybody that was shown in there. These are again my friends. And I know Danny's courage. And from human suffering, I pray in the name of Jesus that we don't get so callous towards the suffering of mankind that we forget. Because this is something that you get to, I don't know if you notice the peace in Danny's heart, and yet he's in a war zone. And, and the bravery of those chaplains but here's the thing, is that they're a gift from you. It was you that allowed us to go and bring the gospel to the world, and they were touched by Jesus. And now they're changing the world. <clears throat> they're looking back at us and saying, <clears throat> remember, remember. Body of Christ, let's remember. This is hard. It's a hard world. You, if you haven't suffered lately, it's coming because God uses it and, and we can understand the suffering. We can have compassion on those who need compassion, whether it's homelessness or addiction or divorce or cancer, we have the answer. And you have the answer for this community. And, and I'm gonna talk about something because I'm gonna be practical and your pastor is just so amazing <clears throat> and I didn't talk to him about it, but I'm gonna take a little bit of a liberty and go a little bit further. I'm gonna do what all Calvary Chapel pastors are forbidden to do and that's to talk about money. And the reason we don't want to talk about money because it's really uncomfortable. And I sat there before and said, oh, the right foot, the left, you know, God, you know, I get all that. I, I felt that way. I really did, I promise. But let me tell you something. This is my ignorance. I want to let you know that I'm not up here because I'm better than you. When I was 19 years old, I didn't want to get, when I first became a Christian, I didn't want to get close to Mike McIntosh, my pastor. I was so sure that he was so spiritual that he would be able to read my mind and know my past. And what I found out about Mike McIntosh is that he's just a man. And the other thing, I don't know why I thought this, it was my ignorance, I'm just sharing with you how stupid I am and how far I've come. But I used to have to go to work, I had a family to take care of. And then at church somehow I just thought, oh, we're God, God's God provides, he does, but he uses us. And that's the thing that I want to remind us, body of Christ is God used a donkey and he used a burning bush before, but almost all the other time, he uses people, he uses us. There are things for you to do, good works that you are going to do in the name of Jesus that God has prepared before time began. And I want to encourage you. I don't want you to look back and just hate yourself and self-condemnation and beat yourself. But this is that day when we fall before the Lord with no excuses and say, Father, I know I got lost along the way and I maybe be 72 or I might be 63 or I might be 13, whatever it is. But Father, I can't do this myself, but this is all I have. And you'll be amazed what God can do. I started out teaching second grade Sunday school and being faithful there, then a years of unfaithfulness and faithful there, it's always about what Christ does. When he gives you something to do, do it. Which brings me to my money conversation. 
is one thing I've seen in ministry and we don't talk about it is when people like me come and we have stories that move our heart. This is not everyday church. This isn't reading through the book of First John or Song of Solomon. It's not. This is what's really going on in the world. This is first world application. And I know your hearts. I know you guys because I know your pastor. Everybody's going to want to get involved financially, prayerfully. Please be praying for us. If the Lord wakes you up in the middle of the night and you get something in your gut, please be praying for us because that means that somebody's probably in a very bad situation. I have heard so many stories of people saying, I was woken up at, and I'm like, oh my goodness, really? And that's what the Lord does. From a financial perspective, I came here because I love your pastor, Nathan, and we want him more involved in our ministry. He's just, he's just the dude. He's the next generation. It might be hard for you to understand it, but I've taught at over 400 Calvary chapels, and this man has remained faithful. He's been a good man, and I want to be there. But I also don't want to hurt this church. And what, what I've seen happen is that a lot of times people will want to give because you're, you're moved, and I want you to give. You're moved. But when you give and you take away from here, what you don't know is for the next couple of weeks, this church hurts. I want you to be faithful to giving to your church. And when the Holy Spirit is moving, I want you to be obedient there and do what's next. You've got to do other things, but you cannot hurt somebody else. I cannot hurt this church. Pastor Nathan is gonna do something, and this is where I'm gonna take a little bit of liberty, and, I'm gonna, and he'll, he should forgive me. If not, he can come up here and rebuke me openly because I would take a rebuke from your pastor because I know he loves. I'm not here for an honorarium. I'm not here that you would pay for my hotel. I don't want any of that. I am thankful that God has taken care of my salary and my needs well by some Christian men that take care of me. Maybe in the future it changes. And when other brothers come, we need to take care of them. It's right to give them an honorarium. I just happen to be in a unique situation. But where if you want to get involved in us, there's two ways to do it, and pastor's going to get into one of them. But everything that we really want to move is towards a persecuted church. Every penny of what we are doing during this season, every single penny, no administrative costs, nothing out of it, 100% has to go. Why? Because we, uh, we put out about $8 to $12 million a year of aid and relief into the world, but it just exploded. We just put in $4 million in Afghanistan and another $6 million to go. We didn't have a budget. God just keeps providing it. And then we have Ukraine. What I would say is if, the, if you're being faithful here, and I'm putting a big explanation point, you don't go past it if you're not being faithful here. If you're being faithful here and you go beyond that, it, where it hurts, um, I would say take care of them. And there's two ways we need help. We need to send an emergency. We have about a million dollars we need to raise. And this is what, what we know as a ministry is if we, we don't put one million dollar on anybody. But if everybody carries the load, if we have a truck we need to carry, Nathan and I can't do it, but all of us together, we can carry that. So if we all take just a little piece, whatever God has allowed us to do, my first heart is there's a lot of people that we have to take care of, like what's going on with our... with, with uh, Ghost operations, this is Afghanistan, North Korea, et cetera, et cetera. And then these, I would ask that if you want to get involved on a monthly basis, that's really our need is support these guys. It takes us about two to $300 a month. Um, some people give that, some people can only give five. It's not about the size of your gift. It's about where God has given you the ability to be faithful. And then a pastor is going to talk about a love offering in a second. I'll be in the back. Um, and if we want to talk, don't be afraid. I'm not here to close anybody. I want to inspire you in your faith because that is my gift. I want to bring the hard things from the world to inspire the body of Christ to rise up where they are and get in the battle, but be faithful because the world's watching and they don't want our words anymore. They want to see love in action that Jesus so transformed my life that I will go anywhere to show the love of Jesus to those that are my enemies and those that are hurting, suffering, or persecution. 
That's my call. I'm answering for that. What's your call? Pastor? Pastor?